0: We're in Acts 17, which some have called one of the greatest chapters in the Bible because of Paul's message on Mars Hill. And, and the reason is, uh, we're going to see later, Athens was this incredible... It was a center of culture for the world. 500-400 B.C., it was like the greatest city in the world. A lot of people think it was like the greatest impact city ever. It was so impactful that when Rome conquered Greece... They kept a lot of the Grecian uh, ideas and and uh, the arts and the architecture and the gods, their religion, all that stuff they kept. And so, uh, remember, Paul and Silas are now together because Paul and Barnabas split. Uh, Barnabas wanted to take John Mark, and and Paul said, "No, he's he's let us down. We can't do it. It's too important a mission." They got into an argument. And so Paul takes Silas and Timothy, and he picks up Luke, and they're now pushing westward to Rome. I mean, the, Rome was the really, you know, was the power of the universe, and uh, at, at least in the man's point of view. And so they were pushing towards Rome, going into Europe, because God had <coughs> redirected Paul from his Asian uh, desires to go plant churches over in Asia there to take him westward to Europe. And as he went to uh, Philippi, we saw him encounter three people there uh, and start a church there with Lydia. And then he cast the demon out of the woman who got thrown in jail. And they met the jailer there. The jailer and his whole family come to Christ. And so a little church started in Philippi became a very special church to Paul. They supported him when he was going to Thessalonica. And, um, you know, they, the, the church was very... Helpful And God has a plan. Nothing's random with God, right? So he, he's got a, uh, what, what a lot of people call the scarlet thread going through everything. He's just redirecting our lives and our paths. You're here today for a reason. You know, I mean, there is no coincidence with God. And so as they went from Philippi, uh, we saw last week really that these were men who turned the world upside down, it says in 17.6 because the word from what happened in Philippi had spread to Thessalonica. And, and they, they, these people there had heard about Paul and Silas, even though they were almost 100 miles away, they had heard. And so Paul and Silas go there. They go into the synagogue. And we, last week we looked at four, uh, really four things that we see in men who have an impact because we see them in Paul and Silas's life. Does anybody remember the first one? As God's kingdom priest, God calls us to what? Live boldly. Live boldly, speak biblically, share inclusively, and suffer trustfully. Yeah. So live boldly. These were bold men. Where did Paul go? He went into the synagogue in every city. Had he been rejected? Yes. In every synagogue he shared, he was rejected and persecuted. But he keeps going in there because it starts with the Jew. To the Jew first they came. Why? Because they had the Scriptures. They knew the Old Testament. And so Paul goes into the synagogue. And he was bold to do that. And uh, then we spoke, he, "We saw him speak biblically. In both Thessalonica and Berea, what did he do? He took them to the Scriptures. He went to the Bible. And, and it says that he taught them why Christ must suffer. Because the Jewish people did not believe in a suffering Messiah, and, and you know I asked the question last week: Could you, if a Jew came up to you today and says, "Where does it say in the Bible Messiah is supposed to suffer?" Would you know where to go? You know Isaiah fifty-three, Psalm twenty-two. Um, there's lots of passages that talk about that. And Zechariah says they will look upon the one whom they pierced. This was way before crucifixion. And so there's lots of places there that talk about Messiah being a suffering servant and who would die, but He wouldn't see decay. So we talked about speaking biblically, but we also talked about sharing inclusively because it says there were many women who came to faith. And in that culture, in Thessalonica and even Berea, women did not come to faith apart from their husband's approval. They did not have the right to do that, but that was changing because Jesus valued these women and did not, uh, like a lot of people like to say, the Bible puts down women. It doesn't. Just, they're different roles, but, but these women were valuable and they came into the kingdom, but Paul and Barnabas didn't stiff-arm them. And we talked last week about people we stiff arm with the gospel we don't think god's going to do anything with them and we talked about it It might be a transgender it might be a homosexual it might be somebody who is a drug addict or an alcoholic that we write off and you can't write anybody off yeah and 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 so we talked about sharing inclusively and then finally we talked about suffering trustingly as we as every place they went they were persecuted and, and there were there was a mob that was stirred up to go after them because <laughs> the Jews up in Thessalonica ran them off. Then they heard what they were doing in Berea and they came down there and they tried to run them off there. But Paul uh, and the leaders that were there said, hey, we need to get Paul out of here. He seems to be the lightning rod. So they moved him under the, the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And Silas and Timothy stayed there to disciple and help the church really get... Going and then so Paul is left in Athens. He's in Athens by, hundred miles away. When he, you know, they took him to Athens, dropped him off, and he said, when they dropped him off, hey, make sure you bring Silas and Timothy here. But Paul doesn't get R and R, rest and relaxation anywhere he goes. He's not sitting there taking in the sights in Athens. He's in Athens. And he sees what's going on, and it disturbs him greatly because of what Athens was, what it represented. But Paul was not unaccustomed to seeing things like that. He grew up in Tarsus. He would have seen idols before. He would have seen man's attempt to try to define the universe before. But he was so overwhelmed there when he saw it, it says he was provoked he was provoked, he was stirred up. It was like the word literally means like he was stabbed. It irritated him so bad. There's other times in the Bible you see stuff like that with Moses in the Old Testament. But with Paul, we're gonna look at this today, and really there's only two thoughts. And as we look at this text, we're, going to, we're only looking at five verses 16 through uh, or six verses 16 through 21. Uh, 17, 16 through 21. And we're going to keep building on this idea of having an impact as God's kingdom. Remember, live boldly. Speak biblically. Share inclusively. Suffer trustingly. And today we're going to add two more. We have to see the world with divine eyes. Supernatural eyes. Spiritual eyes. Whatever you want to call it. But we have to see the world around us Not with human eyes, but with divine eyes from God's point of view. There's a song Brandon Heath uh, wrote and sings called Give Me Your Eyes. Talking about God, give me your eyes for the people. (laughs) Let me see the world through your perspective. And so that's what we're talking about. So that's the first thing. The second thing is we are called to engage the world with the divine message. So we not only see the world with divine eyes, our engagement with the world around us is with a divine message, not the philosophies of man, not human tradition, but it's with the divine message. It comes from what? It's, it's, it's from the Bible. So, but it's not just speaking biblically. It's engaging. You know what it means to engage what does it mean to engage when you engage something Take an role. yeah it 's active so you 're not just responding you're actively looking for divine opportunities around you and we see that in Paul and so i 'm going to read I 'm going to read um, this text but as I get ready to read it I want you to think about Athens um, when you think about Athens, Greece, I mean, when we think about Greece today, it has, even though it's beautiful, people go there and they think it's a beautiful place to go. It, you would say, you know, probably culturally, today is it really having an impact on America right now, like the current Greece? Not really. But back then, it was unbelievable the impact they had. It was known for the intelligentsia, the universities, the the arts, the architecture. It, it would be like really the way L.A. or New York influences America. You grew up out out, out there. L.A., I, I remember when I lived in Yuma, Arizona, I went up to California the first time and a person said something to me that has stuck with me ever since, and that was back in the, the 80s. But it was like, yeah, whatever happens in L.A., usually filters to the rest of the U.S. within five years. It's really true. It's like fads and things that are happening out there just usually... It's such a cultural influence, whether it's Hollywood or even just the way they impact. And New York is the same way in a lot of ways. So you think of an L.A. or New York and how they influence us culturally, how they influence us in the arts, and... Uh, and architecture, the, the, the way you go, you go to these cities and you're taken back by the big skyscrapers in New York, the World Trade Center, you know, all those things that that would captivate our eyes. And that's what Athens was. People came there and and they saw the Parthenon. They saw all these, you know, incredible buildings. But you know what they were? They were all temples to idols, there's nothing beautiful about a temple to an idol. No Christian should ever look at the architecture to worship an idol and go, wow, that's beautiful. It's not. You know what Paul says? Paul says that anything given to idols is given to demons. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 20. They're temples of demons is what they are. And so when you think about Athens... If you think about that kind of a city where we look at all those things. I remember I was in Israel with Ray Vanderlaan a few years ago and we were walking and he we're walking and he's talking about the beautiful countryside. The 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 man, look at that mountain over there. It's awesome and look at man look at the topography god made here and everybody's just like yeah i've seen that you know nobody's really blown away by it and we go up to the top of Scythopolis, which was this really greek influenced city with a bunch of temples and a bunch of idols all over and the ruins are still there from when they it it, you know it it was around in uh, biblical times and you go up there, and as soon as we got up to the peak where everybody could see it, they go, wow. They're blown away by that. And, and Ray said, you love this. I told you about God's creation and you blew it off. You come up here. You look at this. This is man's creation. It's in rubble. And you love it. And it's true. We are so drawn like a, uh, like a mosquito to the purple light to those kind of things. And we have to think about that, that we are susceptible. So if we are aware, if we know the enemy, one of the things as a pilot they trained me to do is to know my enemy. If I know my enemy, then I can be prepared for his attack. I can know his strategy. And I don't want anything to do. I don't want to, I don't want. How do you think so many guys get duped into spying? You know why? Cuz they use a pretty woman. How many times does that happen? You sit there and you go, "You dummy?" Is it is it worth ruining your country to do something like that? So, but when you think about Athens, Socrates was there. Uh, Plato, that's where they grew up. Aristotle Move there, so I mean, you think about those great names of philosophy. It was the greatest city in the world, but you know what? It was really interesting if you look in verse twenty-three, and it says they even had an idol to the unknown god. Isn't that telling? (laughs) They, even though they had, you know how many idols they had in that city—thirty thousand idols. 30,000 gods represented there. You know how many people lived in Athens? 10,000. Every known deity. It's kind of like today when I go to India, they have over 3 million gods. If you walked over there and you said, This is my God, and it is for a lot of people, you said, This is my God, you know, this phone, people would worship it. And that's the way it was in Athens. Everybody, there was all kind of teaching. And if you brought a new teaching, they wanted to hear what it was. And so if we want to have an impact as God's kingdom priest, we, we've got to see the world with divine eyes for what it is. We've got to go in there and be able to separate the, the idols and the demons from what's true for people. Because otherwise you end up with a culture that says if you're a guy, you can be a girl. Or if you're a girl, you can be a guy. Or you know what? God's word says this, but it doesn't apply to us anymore. Because that was an old book. It's traditional. It's patriarchal. Whatever words they throw in there. All those things, those arguments, or human arguments, that they're just dismissing God. People have been doing it for eons. And so, <clears throat> but they were Empty. So they made a statue, an idol, to the unknown God. Because that's where the world's religions leave you empty. So let's read the text, verse 16 down through 21, and we'll look at each one of these. Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons, and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him And they brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know therefore what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. May God bless his word. You know, if you look in uh, John chapter 6, verse 63, Jesus said, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are Spirit and life. So if we want to see the world with spiritual eyes, where does it come from? What does Jesus just say? Where does it come from? From Him. Mm -hmm. So... You can't see the world with divine eyes if you don't have Jesus. It's impossible. You can try to explain it to somebody. You can try to help them understand. They will not get it. They can't see what you can see if you have Jesus. They can't. Jesus told His disciples in Matthew 13, 16, But blessed are your eyes, for they see and your ears, for they hear. He's telling the disciples this. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, and they did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not know it. Because here's the thing, even in the Old Testament, they they loved God, and they had faith in the one true living God, Yahweh, but they didn't have Jesus. Do you realize that? As holy as Moses was to God, as set apart as he was, he did not have Christ. He didn't have the the Holy Spirit indwell him permanently. And that's huge, guys, for us to understand that we can't see with divine eyes if we don't have Christ. And so, it doesn't mean we can't make mistakes but we have a discerning eye that can see things in the spiritual and the unspiritual. There's a, there's a whole unseen world out there that most of the world is oblivious to. I don't know if you guys saw the movie The Matrix years ago, but that, it, it's kind of like that. It's going on all around us. This unseen world. You know, before um, Pasteur, uh, Louis Pasteur um, came up with the, the whole virus stuff, you know, and, and the, the, the way viruses work, people didn't believe. They just died. They'd get sick and die. But now we got antibacterial everywhere. Why? Because we know that stuff's real. Think about it. With COVID, how many times did you wash your hands with antibacterial stuff? But without Louis Pasteur bringing that to light, well, Jesus is the same way. If you don't have Jesus, you're not going to see demon stuff. You're not going to be aware of this spiritual world. So we've got to see, and we've got to ask God to open our eyes. In 1 Corinthians 2, the Bible says, The natural man, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but he himself is judged by no one. You see, when you have Christ in your life, you are able to see with these spiritual eyes and make discerning decisions. But what happens is, that's why Paul says, be filled with the spirit. That means be yielded to God's word. When you are running away from God, listen, let me ask you this question. If you're a believer and you run away with God, I mean, run away from God, can you be deceived as a believer? Even though you, you have Him, can you be deceived if you're not walking with Him? You can. It says that in the scriptures. We've got to walk with Him, but we've got to ask Him to open our eyes. In 2 Corinthians 3, he says this, talking about unbelievers, "...their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant," which is what? The Old Testament. They would read that. "...the same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed." I remember getting into a conversation with a guy a few uh, months ago. He got really upset when he said that Jews worship the same God we worship. And I said, no, they don't. We worship Yahweh who is God the Father of Jesus Christ. They worship Yahweh who is not God the Father of Jesus Christ. You can't have them be the same they're not the same and the gospel is veiled to them and because the gospel is veiled they don't have spiritual discernment and their hearts are hardened now does that mean they can't yes they know the scriptures but do you know that Muslims they think Jesus is a good guy he's a prophet they don't worship Allah is not the same as Yahweh it's different and so you don't understand that if you don't have Christ, if you don't have spiritual discernment. If you don't walk with Him, you can be deceived. And so the question is, how do we see with spiritual eyes? Well, we remember how last week we said, how, how do you live boldly? You have to know God. How do you speak biblically? You have to know His Word. Well, how do you see with divine eyes? You have to follow Jesus and seek His kingdom. You have to follow Him and seek His kingdom. What does that mean? Well, what did Jesus say in Matthew 4.19? Follow Me and what? You'll figure out what to do? Is that what He said? No, He said, follow Me and I will make you. He does the work. I will make you fishers of men. All you gotta do is what? Follow me. I you know when 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 I was a, a pilot in the Marine Corps as a wingman, I followed my flight lead. If he went up, I went up. If he went down, I went down. But I kept my eyes on him so I could know where I was going. I wasn't necessarily looking at the outside as much as I was watching my wingman. See, we spend way too much time trying to figure out the outside and take our eyes off Jesus. We need to follow Him. How do you follow Him? Well, first of all, you've got to know Him and you've got to read about what He's like, who He is. What did He do? He's not here physically in the flesh leading you like He did the disciples, but do you know how He leads us today? Through two things. Actually, three. One is through His Word. Two, is really part of the Word, is His Spirit, as His Spirit gives you understanding of the Word, but also the Spirit gives you leading as well. And third, His people. That's how we know. That's how we know what He's doing. But, but, but if we don't follow Him, We're not going to have spiritual discernment. Because what happens when you start following your own desires? It it doesn't matter how close you are to his people or to him. Judas walked right next to him. But he didn't follow him. He really wasn't following Him. He was just next to Him. And, and that's what we have in America today, I think. And not just here, throughout the world. There's a lot of people that walk next to Jesus, but they don't follow Him. In fact, I have people I've heard who say, you know what? You shouldn't tell people to follow Jesus. That's adding works to salvation. No. It's not adding... Listen, I let me state clearly. You cannot do anything to make God love you. You follow Jesus because He's in you. You follow Jesus because God's Spirit's in you and God's Spirit goes where Jesus goes. Jesus is the way the world is saved. There's no other name. So if you're not following Him, you're not following God. I don't care how close you are to Him. And so 1 John 2.15 says, Do not love the world. And the word love there is Agape. You cannot love the world unconditionally if you're a believer. And then he defines what the world is. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. What a man has and what he does. Do we struggle with that? Do we get our security from what we do or what we've done? What we own? Do we see things? You know what lust of the eyes is? That's seeing something you've got to have that you didn't even know existed last week. You ever do that? Flip through a magazine, gun magazine, hunt magazine, sport <laughs> magazine. Man, I got to have that. You didn't even know it was around a week ago. You guys must struggle with that too, son. <laughs> Isaiah 42, listen to what Isaiah says. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. You see, as God's kingdom priests, we don't only see with divine eyes, we help others see with divine eyes. That's what a priest does. He's a go-between between between man and God. Men who are apart from God, that's why Paul says we're ambassadors. God appeals to people through us. (laughs) So how can we help people see like he says there if we don't see? We've got to be people who see. Verse 16, it says, Paul saw he was provoked. Why? He saw the city was full of idols. The word literally means there smothered with idols. Growing with idols. And that's what provoked Paul. See with divine eyes. Two more verses about this, this principle. 2 Corinthians 4, 4. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. The God of this world. Who is that? It's little g God. Satan. And he's blinded people. We need to understand that there is a battle going on. Satan's trying to cover their eyes, right? And our job is to discern and to be able to share with people. And that's what Paul was doing. Ephesians 1.18 says, Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which He called you, what the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seat him at the right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but in the ones to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Christ is over it all. But notice, what was the first thing it says? Having the eyes of your heart enlightened. Do you have your eyes enlightened? If you you don't have your eyes enlightened with Christ, you'll never see with divine eyes. I don't care how much you read the Bible. I don't care how much you go to church. How much you do the religious things. These people were very religious. Paul acknowledged that. But they did not see with divine eyes. Their eyes were blinded. So what does Paul do? Well, he engages his world with a divine message. He engaged them. You know, when he engaged them, he wrote Corinthians later. But when he wrote Corinthian, the Corinthian church, it gives you insight into how he engaged them. And I just want to ask you for a second, when you're provoked, when you see something, you have a divine opportunity, is what I call them, to share the gospel. What goes through your mind? Do you think how to humanly reason with them? From a logical point of view? Listen to what Paul says in First Corinthians 2. And it, this is long, but it, it, it really gives you insight. And I, I I tried to shorten it just to pick parts, but every time I just kept going back and going, I can't, i got to read this. This is God's Word. And it gives us an insight into how Paul engaged. Listen to what he says. First Corinthians 2. And I when I came to you brothers did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. I can't share the gospel. I'm not really qualified. I don't I don't know how to speak very well. Does that sound familiar? I think there was a guy named Moses who told God that, and God said, "Moses, don't tell me that. I made the deaf, I made the blind. I made you speak like you speak. He made each one of us individually with our own experiences, our own personalities, and we are here today as his people to be equipped and to come together around his word so we can go engage the world. So don't bring that garbage about, I can't do it to God. Because that's a human thing, that is not a divine thing. And so Paul says, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You know what scares me is when people say, man, you, I love the way you talk. I, you know, you're, you're so smart. You're so articulate. You're so, so whatever, fill in the blank." Any minister, pastor, believer should be terrified when you hear those words. <coughs> because what I really want is to him, man, Jesus came through you. I, when, when you speak, I just hear Jesus. The greatest compliment I ever got one time was at a church in North Carolina and I was preaching and a guy came up and he just said, man, Jesus spoke through you today. It it, it just, that's what you want to hear. That they're hearing Jesus, not us. We're just an instrument. That's like a pen going, man, I'm pretty nifty. A pen can't do nothing except what I make it do. And so Paul says that. He says, verse 6, "...yet among the mature we impart wisdom, although it's not a wisdom of this age, or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away." For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. And we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom. Are you getting the picture of what Paul's saying here? It has nothing to do with how smart people are. How much education you receive. You know one of the first questions I'm always asked when I'm invited to go preach at a church? After after they invite me, what seminary did you go to? I didn't. I actually had a church in Houston cancel me because I didn't go to seminary. Stupid Texans. No, I'm joking. That was just a joke. I loved living in Texas. I lived there for 10 years, but it was true. When, when a guy said, where'd you go to school? I said, Mississippi State. He goes, no, what seminary? I go, I didn't go to seminary. I said, I've been trained by people, seminary professors who mentored me, but I, I just never felt God call me to go for whatever reason. See, we put value in a certificate that sits on a wall. And God puts value on the Spirit in a person. Is my Spirit in you? If my Spirit's in you, you go where I tell you to go. You say what I tell you to say. Not what you think. That's why I hope I don't say I think about God's Word. I hope if I say that, you remind me at the end. Hey, you said I think. Because... It doesn't matter what I think. What matters is what He says. And that's what Paul is saying. And why is that important? Where is He? He's in Athens. Athens was the capital, man. It was like, and where did He go? In just this little text, there's three places He goes. Where does He go first? The synagogue. To talk to the devout people. Then where does He go? To Starbucks. The Agora. It's the marketplace. It's where people are meeting. The businessmen. And then where does He go? To the Areopagus. They take him there. Which is like, you know, the Areopagus was not just an area. It was a place where they kind of discerned, okay, what is this guy really saying? What is he teaching here? Let's, And they kind of acted as a governing body of that area. They They oversaw. So they wanted to know what he said. So he's in all three of these places. He's engaging people. And so... How do do we engage the world with the divine message? Well, we have to know God's gospel and be ready to share. Do you know it? You know, 90% of witnessing is just starting up a conversation. You don't start off with, Roy, you're going to hell. Let me tell you about Jesus. No, you start with the superficial. Hey, Roy, where are you from? Wow. California? California? Got a cousin named Jim. He lives out there. It's a big state. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is a big state. But you start with the superficial. Then you move from the superficial, maybe, to struggles. How are you dealing with this whole COVID thing? How are you dealing with the political stuff? How are you dealing with what's going on in the Ukraine? How are you dealing? You, you talk about the brokenness of our world, but then you get into the source of hope to deal with these things. It's a progression. But it starts, 90% of it starts with that conversation. Just starting the conversation. Colossians 4 2 through 6, guys, jot that down and go back and read it and think about these things. This is the philosophy I share. I've shared this for the last 27 years of sharing the gospel prayer, care, and share. Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer. He's writing from prison. And instead of asking people to pray for him to get out of prison, he's writing for people to pray for him to be bold to share the Gospel with the people who are imprisoning him. So the first thing is prayer. Second thing is care. He says, conduct yourself with wisdom toward outsiders. So you care for people. He cares for the outsiders. He's not only thinking of himself. And then the third thing is sharing. He says in verse 6, Let your speech always be with grace so that you will know how to respond to each person. The Gospel is not a cookie-cutter thing that you just put a track on a toilet somewhere and think somebody's going to get that. I'm serious. Or leave it as a tip for some server who looks at it and goes, there's no money here? Great. Great i got a friend who leaves million dollar bill tracks. That's his tip. I'm like, dude, you need to throw a real hundred on there with that. <laughs> and let these people know you care about them. It's not that that's not valuable, but they're not going to recognize that right away. So you pray, you care, and share. Verse 17 says He reasoned with them. And he dialogued. He conversed in verse 18. That word actually means debated. They called him a babbler. You know what that word means? It means a seed picker. It means, it means actually somebody who has no original idea. They just go get everybody else's thoughts and that's what they present is what they believe. Gee, you know, Paul wasn't. And the Epicureans, really just real quick, I know we're over. Just give me two more minutes. Because it talks about the Epicureans and the Stoics. Do you know what an Epicurean is? Do you know what a Stoic is? You read words like that in the Bible, you may not know. I didn't know I'm from Mississippi. I had to look it up, man. I didn't know what that meant. But an Epicurean sought the truth by personal experience, not through reasoning. Does that sound familiar? Are we Epicurean in this country? They considered gods to be with remote, with no interest in their daily life. They were deists, basically. Everything happened by chance. Death was inevitable, no, no judgment. So human beings should pursue pleasure. Pleasure was the chief end of man. Does that sound familiar? Stoics, however, were different. They rejected pagan theology. And what they did is everything was a God to them. The universe was a God. The world was determined by fate. Mother Earth was a God. And really, they felt that human beings had to pursue duty and do the best they could with what they had. They emphasized chance, escape, and, the, uh, and basic, I'm sorry, they emphasized fatalism and submission to whatever in the endurance of pain. That's what it means to be stoic, right? Basically, the Epicurean said, enjoy life, the Stoics said, endure life. And so Paul goes in, and do you know what he does? <laughs> Paul actually dealt with both of them as he shared the gospel and we're going to see that and what happens in verse 34 is one of the Areopagites actually trusts Christ after Paul preaches this great message on Mars Hill and at the when he's preaching what we're going to see is he refers to the caring of a personal creator he's not detached he talks about the dignity of human beings and us being His offspring, the certainty of judgment and the call to repentance. He actually takes two groups. It would be like Him taking a Florida Gator and a Florida State Seminole and coming in there, and at first they're opposed to Him, but He's dealing with things that affect them both in a positive way. Isn't that awesome? And so, I'm going to send you guys a Gospel outline because if you, if you had an audience like that, could you share the Gospel? Could you go through? There's four main things you want to cover when you share the Gospel. God's purpose, our problem, God's provision, and our response. And I'll give you verses next week as we go into it. And I'm going to give you a sheet that will have that on there and a sheet you can take home. Some of you have done this in here before. You can actually write out the Gospel in your own words because we need to be able to do that. And so... As you leave here today, I want you to think about these two questions. I want you to think about, first of all, what do we see? What am I seeing? And second, how am I responding to what I see? Paul was a man who saw the world with divine eyes, and he engaged the world with a divine message. So, thank you for coming, Jim. I'm glad you could be here today. You too. And, uh, Raleigh, we we close our time in prayer? Um, Heavenly Father, we come to you today, Lord. And thank you for the word, Lord, and for all things that you have done in our life. Father God, we thank you for each and every person in this room, Lord. Protect us, Lord, as we go out. Strengthen us, the walk, and do the things of you, and not of the world. Reach the word all our heart. By being real and open up so everyone can stand to each other.